Hi everyone, and you're very welcome to the second part of my interview with Tiger Beat editor Anne Moses. Anne picks up the story during Elvis's summer festival in August 1970 when she's filmed for the movie Elvis, That's the Way It Is. Attending the opening show on August the 10th and being the lucky recipient of a kiss from the man himself. Anne also tells me about seeing Elvis in his later years and her feelings about what happened to him and her opinion on Elvis's continuing popularity and legacy. Well, then the next year you were in, I, I don't know how many, how many Elvis fans know this, but you were actually in That's the Way It Is. I was. And um, that came about, I got a call from Dennis Sanders, who, who was the director, and he explained to me how he was um, making a documentary on Elvis, him getting ready for the show in, uh, I don't know if it was 70 or 71. I think it, it came out in 71, but it was. Yeah, um, it, it was uh, August 1970. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, you know, I leave, I leave the stats to other people because <laughs> I have too many, too many of them. Uh, so, uh, he said, we are going to, uh, you know, I'd like to come to your office and interview you. And he said, uh, uh, that then we're going to, uh, have you come to Las Vegas for when we're, filming the the live shows and it was like well no problem <laughs> i'd be happy to uh so he comes to my office at tiger beat and i was very very nervous and, you know it i i think it sounds like i'm just kind of emotional on the film but i you know i was so nervous i was i was never meant to be in front of a camera i'm the behind the scenes uh, type of person, but he asked me questions and I did my best to answer them. And they filmed me walking down the hall to the artist uh, office, and and that ended up in the movie. But in our private conversation while he was there, he was he was talking to me about some other things, and I said, "Oh, we have this, we have this group of friends we call an Elvis Club, and we get together, and the guys have a couple of beers." And when they're feeling brave, they get up and they, they mime to Elvis songs. And he said, oh, well, that sounds like fun. He said, I'd like to come and film that. And I said, well, no, you know, nobody, everybody would be too nervous. And I don't think that would work. And I kind of poo-pooed it. And he said, I tell you what, I'll just bring one small camera you won't even know we're there. And I go up and here they have a full on full size 35 millimeter MGM film camera on a tripod. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's real subtle. <laughs> so at first, everybody was just, you know, we were trying to act like any other time and none of us were achieving that. So the guys, you know, I was drinking some wine, the Guys were drinking some some beer, and then a few of the guys went downstairs and had a little little puff, and they came back up and they were relaxed enough and they started singing. You know, we were playing Elvis songs on the record player, and they started performing with a guitar, 
And of course, I still have video of that to this day, but there's no sound. And so he filmed for like an hour. And then I, came, I had another surprise. Weeks and weeks later, um, oh, actually, it was, it was much later on because then after he filmed that party and, and did the interview at my office, then it, he was busy filming all the rehearsals and everything, all the intros, you know, um, or the leading up to the, to the live appearance. And so then we were invited and he invited uh, six of us, uh, four or six of us. Um, and once again, the maitre d' led us right to the edge of the stage and it was slightly stage right but you could see when Elvis was coming out of the wings, which was really cool. And it was the first night of filming for the, the movie. And by that time, Elvis had begun kissing women along the stage. He didn't do that the first night. And, and we had seen this because we had gone one or two times after that. And I was seated right next to the stage. So when Elvis first came out, he started the show that way. And he came out, and I can't remember what song was playing, but it was like an intro. And he came over and he kissed me. Then he kissed my girlfriend that was with me. And I mean, and it was not a peck. It was you know, no tongue, but it was a nice kiss that took a few seconds. And I mean, I'll remember it my whole life because it, it was a real kiss, not a, you know. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was, it was on the lips. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a peck on the cheek. In it other words. was, <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and it was beautiful. I mean, I, I have to tell you, um, it was a super nice kiss. And then he continued to go down the line. Well, that was all on film. So after he, Dennis Sanders had finished the fil filming, he called me up and he said, I'd like you to bring all your friends that were at that party and I'm going to show you the, the scenes from the party and, and some other ones. And he invited us to MGM Studios in one of the screen rooms. So that meant it was a theater-sized screen and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching myself kiss Elvis on a theater screen. And I just, you know, yeah. I, mind I, I, blown. I can imagine. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was so incredible. And then everybody there got to see what they look like on on the you know at the party and everything yeah. so here they were seeing themselves in a movie well as it turned out my kiss got cut from the movie and um from you know elvis that's the way it is and our our club meeting got caught but all of us who were there have the the memory of what that night was like, and then of seeing it shot by a professional camera crew. And I mean, for us mere Elvis fans, that was a pretty remarkable experience. 
So it was cut, but and, and I still have. Uh, I wish I had the the cutting room floor of my kiss because those those were thirty five millimeter basically slides. That's what that's what film is, you know, a series of slides. So I could have had an actual photo of that, but I didn't get that. And over the years, people have sent me CDs with with a lot of these outtakes and some of Elvis on stage. Where they got them, I have no idea, but uh, they most of them don't have sound. Yes. So it's yeah. not, you know, so it, it's something, it's, it's like a memory picture of, but, um, and then and then to see you know that's the way it is come out and and again the way he put the whole movie together i mean i got a complete kick out of it because i thought the different elvis fans that he chose were just such a crack up i'll never forget the the woman who was there with her mother and her mother was you know very much a senior citizen and and they said you know we my mom and I both love Elvis, and 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 the daughter says yes. He really gets my Phi Beta Kappa key a jangling. <laughs> That's right. That, appear, that, that appears Elvis. in the that appears in the 1970 uh, version because because you actually made the you actually made the 1970 cut. Your interview with Dennis yes. at, in your Tiger Beat office actually made the cut. So if anybody wants to see Anne, they can see her in the 1970 version. But unfortunately, it was it was taken out of the 2001 re remaster wasn't it yes but then when they brought out the box set years later it has both in it it yes. has the the original cut and the the recut which is just they cut out all the all the interviews and they put in more stage mm. so it's mm. it's all elvis and then and then ours you know tells the story of the elvis fan and, yeah. and fans and and all that so it still exists, and um, wow! I remember, I remember uh, something you actually said in the 1970 version was uh, being an Elvis fan is like being in love. Yes, you don't know how it happens, but you you just fall in love. Yeah, <laughs> and that that describes you know my my thing with Elvis because I was not a fan. For many years, and then, oh boy, then he won me over like nobody's business. What's your feelings on Elvis after 1970, sort of from 1970 to 1977? Well, you know, we went back to some shows in in 70, later in 71, just with friends, you know, paying our own way and and uh, just because it was it was so much fun. And and we noticed a, a marked difference by that time because sometimes when Elvis would come out, I mean, we got a total kick out of it. We thought it was cool, but he acted like he was high on something, you know. And we 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 said he acted like he had been smoking weed. Well, I think with Elvis, it wasn't that he had been smoking weed. He was taking various pills, but he would... You know, he'd be singing You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, and he'd lean over, and then he'd start riffing. He goes, oh, I'm watching a bead of sweat roll down my nose. <laughs> and he'd, he'd just, be, you know, be this kind of stone guy. But we felt like we were 
being privy to a little more insight into Elvis. We thought, oh, gosh, we get to see him, you know, at his most relaxed. And, you know, we had no idea that what we were seeing was him starting to to take, you know, different drugs and and become hooked on them. And I personally never saw him once he started to gain weight and not for that reason, but because, you know, my husband talked me into leaving Tiger Beat and moving from Southern California. Um, so I miss those, those times, but, you know, even when you see Elvis in Hawaii or some of those, the one thing that was always true was that voice. Yeah. And it's just, it's heartbreaking because, I mean, he could have been like Frank Sinatra singing into his very senior years or um, um, I left my heart in San Francisco. Um, I mean, he would never have lost one fan if he had just aged naturally and you know, maybe his shows would have changed a little bit when he wasn't doing karate chops or something. But it's like, it just, you know, his life was cut short. And, and therefore, we were all, we were robbed of, of having that experience of see him, you know, become a mature, older man. And, and I know the voice would have remained. That's, that's the you know the tragedy of it. Yeah, well, I mean, we 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 all say as Elvis fans that you know the the voice the, the voice never failed him, even in the last uh, never. F- the, the last film uh, television special when he does Unchained Melody. I mean, he just nails it. Yes, yes. I mean, and and uh, so I, I do remember hearing when he died, and I mean, I was so shaken. My friend Tony. Um, who went to the comeback special with me. He was my first husband's closest friend. And by now he was a very famous criminal defense attorney in, in Los Angeles. And he, he called us up and he said, I'm sending flowers in our name. And it's like, Oh, thank God. And, and then I really came full circle uh, I think it's 2018, um, the Elvis uh, Graceland invited to be, invited me to be a guest speaker at Elvis Week in 2018. And so it was the first time I saw Graceland. I, I got to stand beside his grave and his brother's grave and his mother's grave. And it was just, oh, it, it was so moving. And then... What we just, you know, of course, I wasn't with my first husband anymore. I was with my husband of 41 years, Tony, and not the other Tony, <laughs> new Tony. And uh, and what we were most struck by, I mean, they, they've done such a beautiful job at Graceland of the exhibits they've built so that you get to travel back through his life. But what we were most fascinated room, um, fascinated with was this room where they just have 
these huge cabinets like art were like um, like architectural where you'd have architectural things with the little thin drawers that pull out. But in there, uh, they have like every slip of paper. The, the curator said to us, she said, she said, we are so fortunate. She said, Elvis's dad saved every piece of paper. And, and he kind of worked at keeping the books during those years. And so you, you pull out the drawers and here's the receipt for the swimming pool for Graceland. And it's like $12,000, you know, and that had to be like back in the fifties or something, maybe the sixties. And then there's, there's contracts. There's, there's every piece of minutia you could ever want to see about Elvis, but it's all preserved perfectly. And of course, then when you, you go through, you know, parts of the house, you know, you see, you see, um, um, Lisa Marie's room and, and her crib. And it's just, you, you get to be, you get to like touch what his life was about. And it just, it, it's so beautifully done. And, and when I was there, they had a whole exhibit of Elvis in the army and they had his uniforms and they had, um, you know, all kinds of different memorabilia that, that from that time when he was in the army, it's just, uh, I, I just felt like Priscilla did such an amazing job of sharing Elvis and herself and Lisa with the rest of the world in the way they, they turned Graceland into what it is today. They they just it's not a you know yes things are expensive but it's 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 such a well done job that that I just feel like she really understood what would make an Elvis fan feel closer to him and and very very successful at it so that was that was another you know, kind of full circle event. And why, why do you think that Elvis's popularity is as strong today as it was when he was alive? What, what did he have that, you know, what, what was that special? Do you know what that special it was? Well, I, it has to be his voice. There, there's no one that's remotely ever been before or after like his voice. Mm. And I think as as his fans got to know him and, and it was only through glimpses in movies and things like that, but they, they, they got to know Elvis on an intimate level, even though, you know, he never did interviews and those things you, you would see bits of him and, and they, they followed his life. And one of the things I wrote when I was writing about him on that stage in the comeback special was I just noticed as he was singing and, and a couple of times, you know, he looked me in the eye. I just felt like for the first time in his life, Elvis 
really understood the power that he commanded. And he didn't do it in a a star-like way. It was just that he knew if he curled his lip when he was looking at you or making a certain move, he just knew how it was going to be received. And then it came right back at him. He knew he had that power and it just made him more vibrant and more more himself. I, I think I think the later years you got to see so much more of the real Elvis because he he understood what it meant at that point. He wasn't a boy anymore. You know, he was a, a husband and a father. And I just think he had a different outlook. And, and it came through. It came through to when you were watching him. And I, I don't know if that's a, a good description, but I guess it's my description. Yeah. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, different people see it in different ways, but you, you put it very, very well, very well indeed. Now, your book, you, you wrote a book, Meow, My Groovy Life with Tiger Beats Teen Idols. Um, now, yes. obviously, it includes the information about Elvis. So if, if anybody wants to read more about your uh, your meetings with Elvis, you can read that. But it also covers Tiger Beat and, and all your other uh, interviews that you've done along the way such as uh, the Monkees and uh, the Bee Gees and people like that, is it? And Bobby Sherman and David Cassidy. And David Cassidy, of course, was very big over in the UK. I never thought anyone would ever hear my stories other than a few personal friends I'd shared them with over the years. But then I was working 2012, and it was it turned out to be my final job. and. Uh, I worked in an orthodontic office, and all the all my coworkers were quite young. They were twenty in their twenties, so basically millennials. I, I came in one day and I said to one of my friends at work, "I said, oh, I, I lost a friend today," and they said, "You know," and they and they said they died, and I said, "Yes, yes, a you know a friend from long ago died," and they said well, who was it? And I said, well, I don't know if you'll know who it is, but it, it's Davy Jones, you know, of the monkeys. And they said, oh, well, we've heard of the monkeys. And that was about it. And I said, well, I have lots of pictures. And they said, oh, bring your pictures in. We want to see them. So I bring my pictures into the office one day at lunch and we're looking through them and they don't recognize all that many, you know, cause they, they weren't born yet. No idea. Of course, they recognized Elvis. I don't think there's a generation that doesn't know who no, he inst- is. No, instantly recognizable. Absolutely, no matter where you are in the world. And um, they said, and and because they're millennials, they're sitting there as they're looking at my pictures, and they're Googling me on their phone. And I'm going, what? You're finding articles about me? And they go, this girl says she wanted to be you when she was 12 years old. And I said, let me read that. And, and, and here this woman, Ann Wicker, had written a blog post about meeting Davy Jones. And about, but, but she wrote about, you know, I wanted to be Ann Moses when I was 12 years old. She was cool and she was hip and, and she hung out with all the 
the stars. And, and I mean, I was just flabbergasted because I had never Googled myself. I, I just, you know, I, I went on the internet and would read news a little bit, but I, I just didn't spend a lot of time there. And, and I wasn't on social media. So after seeing that, I came home and I thought, well, you know, maybe somebody would be interested if I wrote a blog. So I started my blog. It was called I Used to Be Ann Moses because I didn't know what else to call it. And uh, and so I started writing these stories. So I wrote about how how taking Jefferson Airplane to the airport one time and having them ask me to hop on the plane with them. And the next thing I know, I'm I'm photographing the Rolling Stones at the Cow Palace and and. I, you know, one by one, you know, I, I started recounting stories. And after I'd done a, a, a half dozen, could I turn these into a book? But I honestly didn't believe that I could write a book because, you know, my whole life, the only thing I'd ever written were, you know, three page articles in magazines. That was the extent of it. I mean, uh, granted, I wrote thousands of them, but. But still, I, I, you know, I thought a book would be too daunting. But I did uh, get in touch with Ann Wicker, who had written that blog post. And she she was uh, an author and an editor. And I said, well, if, if I, you know, put all these blog posts together, and will you help me put it together as a book? And will you edit it? We worked together long distance. We got together for a few weeks of intense work. But after five years, we had a book together, and then I published it, and I, I just, I was so amazed by the reaction, though. I just, and, and of course, by that time, I was on social media, and I was learning things all the time. It turned out, back at Tiger Beat, we thought our audience was preteen and teenage girls, like 99%. And what we found out years, you know, all these years later was that boys were stealing their sister's tiger beat. They were buying it themselves. They were reading it. And of course, I was well read in England by everybody. I found out that, you know, there was a whole generation of boys that were just as interested as in the girls in these garage bands and these new bands that were coming up, whether it was the Turtles or, or the Rolling Stones or whoever, there were so many great groups and everything. The, the book has been very well received. And I told some personal stories in there and uh, about my love affair with Morris Gibb of the Bee Gees mm-hmm. and you know, the wonderful time he showed me in London. So there's lots of fun things in there, but it was very cathartic to write the book, to to realize that uh, people appreciated what I did back then. And I would have had no way of knowing that all these years later without what is how the Internet has turned the world into a very, very small place. It was just, it was so validating for me that, that the work I did was appreciated by so many people. I mean, it, it still continues to amaze me to this day. And, and I'm so 
I'm so lucky to have people appreciate, you know, all the work. And I mean, yeah, it was work, but we all agree it was the best kind of work you could ever have. <laughs> yeah. So I'll repeat that again. Uh, Anne's book is Meow, My Groovy Life with Tiger Beats Teen Idols. It was published in 2017, I believe, but it's still available on Amazon and uh, other outlets, I believe. Uh, it's available on Amazon and at my, you can get autographed. Well, people in Ireland, it's, it's hard to, to ship an autographed copy to um to the uk it's it's so expensive um i I do sell autograph copies that uh in the u.s but um but anyone who'd like to buy a book from amazon if you'd like me to write a personal note on my stationery so that you have my autograph in there i'm happy to send that to anyone in the uk just to have that little memento yeah, and also I think you have a website as well. Is it annmoses.com? Correct. Right. Correct. Okay, that's great. And then there's a lot of blog posts in there that did not appear in the book, so there's still still more goodies to read. Yeah, yeah. so check out Anne's uh, website as well. Uh, Anne Moses, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. It really has. Well, I have enjoyed it immensely, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. No no problem. And don't forget what I said at the start before we started recording. If you ever come to Ireland, please let me know and uh, we can we can hook oh, up. You can count on it. You can <laughs> okay. count on it. And thanks again, Anne, for, for talking to me. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll talk soon, Steve. Yes. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Anne for sharing her stories with me. Anne's book, Meow, My Groovy Life with Tiger Beats Teen Idols, is available on Amazon and her website, annmoses.com. A reminder to join me live on YouTube every Wednesday and Sunday when I have an Elvis quiz, This Day in Elvis History, Elvis Song of the Week, and more. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me next time on Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. Mm -hmm.